Well, it's good to have each and every one of you with us tonight. It's good to have each and every one of you with us tonight. And is that working? Okay, good. We're glad to have you with us this evening, and we're certainly uh, looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us. I told you this morning what I was going to preach on tonight. I'm going to preach on the president, gay marriage, and me tonight, all right? And so we're going to discuss some things tonight, and I just want to try to encourage you in some things. And uh, obviously, uh, our world is changing. There's no doubt about that. But uh, there are some things that never change. And so we're going to go ahead and look at just a couple of things. Let's go ahead and pray right now. Father, we come to you. We just ask, Lord, you'd bless us tonight. Certainly, Lord, we are a needy people this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your son and for our eternal salvation. And, Lord, tonight I do pray, Lord, that you'd stand in my shoes. Let me be your mouthpiece. We thank you, Father, for what you've already spoken to our hearts about. We think about uh, that uh, simple song, Is Anything Too Hard for God? Lord, certainly there's nothing too hard for you. Lord, because of that, we have hope today as believers. Lord, we thank you for the children who sang about moms. And, Lord, uh, certainly uh, children can uh, be a handful. But, Lord, we also uh, realize that they're a tremendous blessing. And, Lord, we thank you so much for just the privilege that we now have to gather here. Again, Lord, fill us with your spirit. May we truly, Father, hear with spiritual ears. May we truly uh, allow your word to say what it says and mean what it says. And, Lord, may we not uh, stand in opposition to your word or you, but may we, Father, align ourselves with your truth. Now, Lord, we do love you. We thank you, Father. And, and for our nation, we pray, and for our president. And, Lord, we just ask, dear God, that you would bless us as we move forward uh, as a nation. Help us, Lord, to ever be reminded of uh, the real foundation for which we were built on. And, Lord, I will thank you and praise you for what you will do tonight. In Christ's name, amen. In the last few weeks... Uh, the last few weeks have been pretty tough on Bible-believing Christians, Bible believers. Uh, Dan Savage's attack on the Bible and young believers at a journalist convention for teenagers, and then most recent, our president's endorsement of gay marriage has left many believers rather horrified and shell-shocked. Someone has said that a cynic is someone who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. We live in a very cynical age. There are those, many of them, who do not know family values, and they certainly do not treasure family values. I think you'd have to agree with me that there's been an all-out assault against the home, and Satan has masterminded it, because the home itself is the most basic unit of society. As we said before, God founded the home before government. We've noted that over and over again as we preach and as we teach here. It was before government. It was before the school. It was before even the church. Again, the home. A very foundational institution. It's the basic unit of society. And as the home goes, so goes our nation. So goes our society. And so it's very important that we recognize what's really taking place. It's not just a matter of personal preference. It's a matter of satanic attack. It's an assault on the home. It's an assault on God's basic, fundamental unit. I want to discuss three thoughts tonight, or address three things. I do. I want to discuss the president, gay marriage, and then me, and my position on some things. And again, if my position is anything other than biblical, you have no obligation or responsibility whatsoever to adhere to it. Just want to let you know, I don't expect that, if indeed it's simply my opinion. But before we get started, let's remember that we are Christians. Let's not forget that. And our attitude ought to reflect that, whether it be in and outside the church house. We serve a God who loves people, so we need to be very cautious here. It's easy when people disagree with our position or stance, whether it be in this issue or any other, whether it be even outside a social issue or whether it might even be just a disagreement at work or about something going on in our home. When people disagree with us, we are, most, we are very quick often to lash out. We need to be very careful. That's not our response here. That's not how we're to respond to the situation. So let's take a look at a couple of things tonight. We already prayed, so let's consider the president tonight. Let's consider the president. I want to know, first of all, the president's position. Just this past week, our 
President officially endorsed gay marriage or sodomite marriage. I have to be careful because the reality is, is that the Bible does not call it gay. The Bible calls it sodomites. Out of Sodom. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So I really have a hard time talking about happy marriage. Because that's what the word gay means, happy. So I really struggle with that because there's nothing happy about it. Some of the most miserable people you'll ever meet in your life are people that are outside the will of God. So there's nothing happy about it. But nonetheless, he officially endorsed gay marriage. The recent news, in, in recent news, uh, um, although alarming, I, I really don't understand why this news caught us so off guard, but it did. It surprised us, I think. It surprised me. And it shouldn't have, I suppose, because his track record of vacillating on issues, expressing anti-biblical positions, and unparalleled support for the Muslim faith should have prepared us for this so-called revelation. That's what the media is calling it, by the way, a revelation as though it's biblical or scriptural. In an interview with ABC News, President Obama said, by the way, the news doesn't respond to him as president, I do. They just say Obama said. I believe it's President Obama. Anyway, President Obama said, at a certain point, I've just concluded that for me personally, it is important for me to go ahead and affirm that I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. Now, what apparently caused this change of direction or shift in position? Well, according to sources close to the president in conjunction with his own words, it's clear that his opinion and position were changed by new sources of information, one, his personal experience, and, his view, and, and the views of others. If you've only read anything on this subject, his own words will agree with this. He, he has, has been ex, you know, exposed to new information, some personal experiences, and some, the views of others. And all of those things have come together to ultimately affect his new position, so to speak. Now, the president possess, professes being a Christian. And in his interview with ABC, President Obama talks about squaring his decision with his personal religious faith. He says, quote, We are both practicing Christians, and obviously this position may be considered to, to put us at odds with the views of others. And he's talking about, when he says uh, us, he's talking about him and his wife, Michelle. He goes on to say, But, you know, when we think about our faith, the thing at, at, the thing at root, and again, they're quoting him, so they must have left the word out, but the thing at root that we think about is, not only Christ sacrificing himself on our behalf, but it's also the golden rule, he said. Treat others the way you want to be treated. So basically he's saying, I would want to be treated a certain way with respect is what he, I guess he's uh, implying. And, and I don't have a problem with that. I think we ought to you know, treat everybody with respect. But the logic is, is that because I wouldn't want someone to keep me from getting married if I was gay, then I shouldn't withhold that responsibility from others or give them that right as well. Well, that logic may seem commonsensical at first, but again, I don't, I don't think it holds water because I wouldn't want to be thrown in jail. But if someone commits a crime against society, they must be incarcerated whether I want someone to do that to me or not. Now, some things, some things you just, I mean, it's, it's the golden rule, but let's face it, I wouldn't want someone to torture me. But I'm going to be honest with you, if my family was being held by terrorists, I wouldn't care what means it took to get information from them. Now again, you may not agree with that, but then again, your family's not hostages either. And neither are mine yet. But if they were, I can understand somebody wanting to find out where their children were and what was being done to their wife and where they were. I can understand that. Now, again, that's the president's position. That he endorses gay marriage now. His place, though. Let's talk about the president's place. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, look there if you would. And I, I didn't share anything you didn't know already. Obviously, the news has been all over this. But in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, as believers, we need to realize and understand the president's place. The Bible says in chapter 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, as I said this morning, and I'll say it again, I may not have put President Obama in office, 
But God did. God did. You say, well, I don't understand that. I don't have to understand it. All I know is, is that God, according to the Bible, <clears throat> that here it says there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. What I know then is that God put President Obama in office. He's there for a reason. I don't understand completely what that reason's about, but he's there. Okay, so th that, that right there is his place. He's in the right place. And he's where God wants him. Now, that position is God-ordained. And although this fact is difficult at times to accept, it's just as true as any other truth in the Bible. Now, God sees the forest and not only the trees. And the big picture is often outside of our grasp. We've got to just trust God with the part of the plan that we can't see. We've got to believe that there is a reason and a purpose. So his place is God-ordained. And as believers, we need to always keep that in mind as we move forward. Now, the president's privilege. Let's talk about that. We must honor him. We must honor him. Take your Bible, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> Do you agree with your parents in every single thing they said and did growing up? Are you commanded to honor them? Absolutely. If you're commanded to honor them, then you're able to honor them, whether you agree 100% or not with them. Therefore, you don't have to agree with everything the president's doing, but you still have to honor him. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Notice verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. He said, well, he's not a king. Yeah, but he's an ordained leader. Same difference. God raised up kings in the Old Testament. And he raised up queens and all those good things. He raises up presidents today. Same basic principle. We're to honor him. That position is a very important position. It's a position of authority. It represents our nation. We must honor him. But not only that, but one of the privileges is we must pray for him. His privilege is that we pray for him. Every Bible-believing Christian, everybody that names the name of Christ ought to be praying for their president. That's just the way it is. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. We're to pray for Him. He's in, our, he's in authority. He's in authority. Now again, don't misunderstand. Praying for someone, honoring someone, doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with everything they say. That's just the reality of it. It's just the way it is. So we note our president, and we took just a few minutes to note the president's position, place, and privilege. Now I want to talk about gay marriage for a minute. I first of all want to note the standard. I want to note the standard. Take your Bible, look over at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Now again, let's just be quite frank here. If you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, I'm wasting my time talking to you. Just wasting my time. It serves no purpose for me to even sit down and discuss this issue with you, to even talk about it if you don't believe this book, because I have no authority outside this book, because it's just a matter of opinion now, otherwise. But then again, let's talk about God's standard. Chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. He created men and women. You say, well, he created a man and woman for procreation. Absolutely. So procreation isn't important anymore. It's not necessary. We have billions of people on earth, right? So we don't, it doesn't matter anymore. That serves no purpose whatsoever for the ongoing society in which we live. That's ridiculous. See, the thing is, is that it's not a matter of two men coming together to be in a relationship and be married. They're still going to want to raise kids. They just want to raise some heterosexual kids. 
or they want to have implantation. They want somebody, a scientist, to do something supernatural in their mind to bring about children that they can then raise and train up to be like them. Well, wait a second. God says that's not the way it is. The standard is there's a man and a woman. That was the beginning. That's how it was. And that's how it's supposed to be. Look over at Matthew 19, only 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is speaking again. Chapter 19, verse 4 and 5. The Lord Jesus Christ, it says, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them, at the beginning made them male and female? He said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. There's the standard. That's what Jesus said. That's what the man's supposed to do. He's to leave his father and mother, and he's to cleave to his wife. Simple. Now listen, you can go ahead and read into the Bible all you want, but what the Bible says is always what it means. It's simple. Very simple. At the beginning, he made them male and female. He goes on to say that as a result, a man will cleave to his wife, and they twain, two, those two, shall be one flesh. This is God's definition of marriage. It's just simple. There's nothing complicated about it. If emotion gets involved, then obviously it becomes very complicated. But this is not emotional. This is factual. It's basic. Fundamental, foundational. God began with a man and a woman, and God intended that a man cleave to his wife. Again, the definition of marriage stated very clearly there. The first institution established, as we said, even before government, even before the school system, even before the church itself, was marriage. God instituted the home. It is the most fundamental, foundational institution in our society. And again, as the home goes, so goes the society. Marriage is foundational. Is it any wonder that Satan is attacking the most vital and significant institution? It's no wonder. Why wouldn't he? He's always seeking to use for evil that for which God meant for good. God wanted to use... God means marriage to be a blessing. It's to be foundational, it's to be helpful. I want you to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Again, you, we need to understand that this element of marriage was defined by God. It's defined by God. It's simple. It's not hard to understand. I want you to notice something again, that the devil tries to use what God meant for good. He tries to use it for evil. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. This is a passage that people really hate. They really do. They, they, they despise it. But we've got to look at it because it's in the Bible. Notice chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, replicable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I want you to notice that the Bible clearly states 
with sodomy, to men with men, to women with women even. And again, don't misunderstand me. Somebody will say, well, you don't even know what you're talking about. Sodomy, two women to women? Well, let's say lesbians then. Is unnatural. Listen, it's unnatural. That's what the Bible says now. That's not what doctors in America are telling you. It's not what the media is telling you. But God says that this issue of homosexual relationships is unnatural. Again, in verse 26, For this cause God gave them up to, unto vile affections, for even their women to change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their lusts one toward another, men with one, men working that which is unseemly. Listen, this is unnatural. He goes on later in verse 31 to say that without natural affection. Again, tying it back to this issue of homosexuality. Now again, it's unnatural. See, originally, and some years ago, it was rather unnatural for a woman to look upon a man and lust after him. It's kind of unnatural. Women didn't grow up going, man, he's hot. Ooh. I really, ooh. No, that's what guys do with girls. But can I tell you that, hold on now, this is going to be important. That tendency has been bred into a generation. Now girls look at boys the same way boys look at girls in many cases. Because they've been bred that way. Trained that way. See, no one, and listen, you don't have to agree with this. Homosexual, you are not born gay. You are bred gay. Our society has bred that in people. Now listen, it is unnatural. It is not normal. Now listen, you don't, you don't have, again, you don't have to agree with me. You read it. It is unnatural use. Therefore, it is an unnatural act. It is a sinful act. We see the standard. It's one man, one woman, vowing to live together in holy matrimony until death do us part. That is normal, and that is natural. That's God's standard. Now let's consider the sin itself. The first time we come face to face with this particular sin, it's in the book of Genesis. And there we receive a very sharp warning. Notice Genesis 13, 13. Genesis 13, 13. <clears throat> the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Again, very simply put, he says the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Not only is their sin considered exceeding sin, but we're told that their sin is very grievous. Genesis 18.20. Just a few verses along the way here. It says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous. Again, identifying their sin as grievous. Now, in Genesis 19, 4 through 7, as the angels make their way down to Sodom and Gomorrah to warn Lot, his family, about the coming judgment that will be brought on the city, we read in verse 4 through 7, But before they lay down, the men of the city came even, excuse me, city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young both old and young, and all the people from every quarter. They called unto Lot and said unto him, We are the men which came into thee this night. Where are the men that came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them, shut the door after him. 
and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Again, now the sin itself is defined. We have men, both old and young, around the house that are calling for these angels that are men to come out. Bring them out to us that we may know them. That word know in the Bible is a very expressive term. It has to do with a relationship, physical relationship. They wanted to have a relationship with those men, men with men. That is the exceeding sinful sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the sin that is expressed here and the one that ultimately brought their ruin. When someone tells me that there's nothing wrong with people of the same gender coming together to have relationships and be married because it doesn't in any way harm or hurt our society, they're wrong. Because God said it's an abomination. And God said it cost a whole city their life. Listen, don't think America doesn't pay when we permit open sin to prevail in our midst. And it doesn't matter whether it's abortion, whether it's promiscuity, or whether it's homosexuality. It's still sin that is being permitted and God must judge our nation for it. It wasn't long after God destroyed the whole city that ultimately we note that the law was instituted down the road. About 400 years later, actually. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, he says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It's an abomination. You say, well, that's, that's the Old Testament. It has nothing to do with the New Testament. Well, we just read in Romans, the New Testament, and it seemed to be pretty clear there. In Leviticus 20, 13, the Bible says, And if a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman... Both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Fortunately, we live in the New Testament. And even as a child who disobeys and is incorrigible toward his parents doesn't die for his sin anymore, neither does someone that commits this sin. So before you want to cast stones and kill somebody that you believe to be in such vile sin, realize that in the Old Testament, if your teenager was cussing at you and causing a ruckus, by law, he could too be put to death. So let's, offer, let's just express a little bit of grace here. And by the way, never forget about the grace God has demonstrated to you either. Again, the sin is addressed for its outrageous arrogance later on. And again, this is one of the things that I find interesting, is that it does seem to me that there is a sense of tremendous arrogance that accompanies this particular sin. Notice in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. It says, For Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord, to provoke the eyes of His glory. Verse 9, Isaiah 3, verse 9 now. The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin is Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. One of the things about the sin of Sodom was that it was so so public. It was just so, so arrogant in a sense. I mean, here are the angels that came down and you br bring them out here. We're going to know them. It was, there, it was out in the public. There was no shame at all. In this particular case, he says, they hide it not. Well, over the last 20 years, it's becoming a very popular position today. In our high schools, around our country, people are experimenting with bisexuality, they call it. Well, I'm not really gay, but I'm not... I, I, I want to I be with a girl, but I also want to, you know, step out and experience some things. That's just called sin. You aren't made bisexual either. Are you kidding me? You're bred that way. You're not born that way. It's ridiculous. You almost feel like you have to do those... Ridiculous things just to fit in. It's becoming almost popular now. It's a thing to do. It's a trend. But sadly enough, it's going to cost a number of people their happiness. Again, they hide it not. And I believe that this particular sin brings out the most vile in a man or woman toward God. Pride, again, is the reason Satan fell. 
And pride is the reason God truly despises the sin. It's a very visible assault against God's plan and His purpose, purpose for mankind. Basically, a person that chooses that lifestyle says to God, I have a better way than you have. What you, your way is wrong, mine is right. Now, I know that's true in a number of other areas, but especially in this area, because it is the most foundational institution. It's the most basic relationship on earth, a man and a woman. It's the one by which every other relationship is, is springboards off of. And basically, the world has come to the place where they so despise God and His Word that they're willing to look at God in His face and say, I'm this way, and it doesn't matter what you think, I'm going to live how I want and do as I please. You're wrong, I'm right. And all you had to do is listen to Dan Savage's rant about the Bible, and you'd understand that that's exactly the position that the radical movement, that radical gay agenda is traveling. I believe there's a number of very kind, and I believe almost, and I don't say this in one sense, they're not innocent, because none of us are innocent, we're all sinners, but I think they're being led to believe somehow that this is just about their personal happiness. This is a diabolical scheme to undermine God's purpose and plan for, God, for the world and the universe. There is a battle that's taking place. There is an adversary and there's an enemy. And the moment that we start to doubt that, we need to remember in our lives how at one point we were told that we were fine and good until Jesus Christ came along and convicted us of our sin and revealed to us our lost state and the need for Jesus Christ in our life. We'd have died and burned in hell because we deserved it. But instead, God in His mercy and grace revealed to us our sin and our need and we accepted that reality and said, God, you're right, I'm wrong. And there's not one person in this world, I don't care what sin it is that they seem to gravitate to or hold to, that doesn't need the same, same fix that I had, and that's Jesus Christ. God feels about sodomy the way we just described. It's an abomination. It's wrong. What about society, though? In Proverbs 14.34, the Bible says, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now again, if, if the Bible's true, and I believe it is, then no one that reads it can say, in all honesty, that the act of sodomy is approved or condoned by God. No one would say that, that really believes it. In order to say that that's not the case, you have to say that the Bible's not true. Or there's portions of it that are just ridiculous and, 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 and that they don't apply anymore. Write it off. Or you have to say, as Dan Savage said, the bullcrap of the Bible. That's what you have to say. I mean, that's just as simple as it is. You've seen it for yourself. I'm not going to say it the way he said it because it's a little too vulgar here. But that's exactly what you have to say, that this book is bullcrap. Now listen, I don't believe that. I believe that what it says it means and it's true. And if that's the case, then this sin, this sodomy is sin then. Now listen, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Therefore, to permit this and to even promote it within our culture is only bringing us to our demise and ruin. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Sadly, we're quickly arriving at the, the, this most unflattering place in our nation's history. Sin is a reproach. And it causes the people to mourn that are seeking truth and righteousness. I don't know about you, but when our president came out and made that statement, it, it grieved me. It grieved me. And it's going to break, it, it breaks the hearts of God's people to see the masses being influenced by Satan's machine of deceit. That bothers me. 
I, I don't know about you, but it just, it, it really bothers me. It's been stated that public opinion about gay marriage has been shifting dramatically in the recent years, with some polls showing more support than opposition. One writer states that in the many battlegrounds, including Ohio, it's, it's impossible to nail down current public opinion on same-sex marriage. A Gallup poll conducted this month found that 50% of American adults support legal recognition of same-sex marriage, while 48% oppose it. Now, that's a Gallup poll stating that 50%, some polls have tried to say it's upwards of 59% that support. Now, can I just say here, and I, I'm going to deviate slightly, but I find this poll to be very hard to believe. You, you may ask, well, why? Why, may, you may ask. I, I'm glad you asked me. It's interesting to me. Isn't it interesting to note that Prospect 8 was passed by a majority vote in the state of California not three and a half years ago? Isn't that amazing to you? Isn't that amazing to me? I mean, this ruling stood until February of 2012 when the courts overturned it two to one. The people never overturned it. The courts overturned Proposition 8, which permitted gay marriage in California. The people said, we don't want gay marriage in California, and they won by majority vote. Now, wait a second. We're talking about the state of California, the seed plot of the gay lifestyle, and this issue lost a majority vote? And yet they tell me that nationwide, 50% of people support gay marriage. I mean, are we kidding ourselves here? If you can't even pass a 50% vote in the state of California... How in the world do you, you honestly believe that out in Idaho, 50% of people support gay marriage? I'm not convinced that the majority of Americans support that issue. However, I'll say this, they're quickly being won over. See, public opinion often sways the listless and uninformed. And I'm going to tell you something, don't, don't flatter ourselves here today... There's a lot of uninformed believers out there. And they're being turned as quickly as those that aren't part of the house of God and the church. The issue, I believe, is being decided by media and a money trail, not Americans. And even so, the sad reality is that although the Bible outlines absolutes and clearly delineates between wrong and right, the growing number of unchurched and biblical, biblically illiterate men and women over the last few decades has begun to change the landscape of our nation drastically. Again, with this growing biblical ignorance, and again, you don't have to go too far to find that. You knock on doors like I knock on doors and like many of you knock on doors. You run into people that don't even know who Jesus is anymore. Oh, they, they've heard the name. Don't misunderstand me. They may associate him with Christmas or with Easter, but they have no concept or clue as to who he really is. And as a result of that, ignorance comes nothing but tolerance and a rapidly changing moral thermometer in our society. People are not as interested in truth as they used to be. They're concerned basically with a new set of rules that elevates self and promotes both tolerance and acceptance. That's the cry of our day. Acceptance. Tolerance. Right's no longer right. Wrong's no longer wrong. And you know what? It's not the first time in history that that's been the case. It's not the first time in history where God's truth was exchanged for man's truth. Notice what it says over in Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 through 25, there's a solemn warning that's issued concerning that particular issue of wrong and right. Isaiah chapter 5. The Bible says... Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, to put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him, the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the fire consumeth the chafe, so their root shall be as rottenness and their blossom shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against His people and He has stretched forth His hand against them and has smitten them and the hills did tremble and the carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this His anger is not turned away but His hand is stretched out still. Again, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. Put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And isn't that a picture of what's going on in our culture and our society today? So we noted the president. We also noted gay marriage. Now I want to talk about me, my perspective. Again, I view this as another well-orchestrated attack by Satan upon God's clear design for mankind and His plan for the universe. That's all. I just see it that way. Again, it's an assault by the adversary Satan. Simple and plain. It's not an issue that man has concocted, but a diabolical plan to hurt and injure God and His heritage. The devil wants to hurt God. And how better to hurt God than to destroy His creation? Again, this is not my battle. It's the Lord's. Men and women who choose this lifestyle or support it with their votes are deceived by the tempter. That's as simple as it is. They're blinded by the God of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, the Bible says, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." We know that we, we use this verse in reference to salvation. But when a man is blinded to salvation, he's probably blinded to any and everything else in the Word of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, according to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. So a lost man or woman cannot be expected to understand God's position and place on this issue. A common sense says that it just makes sense that you need a man and a woman to procreate and to take and to go forward in our culture and our society. We understand that. And yet the media has so bombarded people to believe somehow that if you take the position opposing gay marriage, you've taken a position to oppose people. I wonder why should I be attacked for my opinion? I'm just wondering, why should I be attacked for having an opinion? Isn't that what America is supposed to be about? Isn't it written somewhere that the government can't tell me how to worship or what to believe? Remember, we like to talk about the separation of church and state. Quick to tell us that. Wait a second, I thought last I checked, the state's not allowed to tell me how to worship and what to believe, that I have a right to speak as led by my conscience, just like they have a right to speak from theirs. The president comes out and says that he is for gay marriage. I come out and say I'm opposed to it. The whole media comes down on me. I'm a little bit upset with that. Let a politician take the position that Mitt Romney has taken. And everything that he says, they're going to go right back to his teenage years and talk about abusing homosexuals. How long ago was that? And how stupid... Have we all been in our day as young people and done some stupid things? And by the way, our president, according to what he said, changed his view of gay marriage because of experience and new information. Well, Mitt Romney obviously has changed his too. And I'm not voting for one or the other here. I'm just saying that it seems that the media is slanted toward only the belief that they have endorsed. I oppose sodomy, sex outside marriage, cheating on wives, pedophilia, polygamy, and even pornography. And every single one of them 
is identified as sinful behavior in the Word of God. When the Bible was believed and practiced, there was no question where folks stood on this issue. But now the Bible's neglected. It's even regarded as being bigoted in a very bitter book. And there's no longer any lines drawn in the sand. They've been erased. And as Mr. Savage said so eloquently or disgustingly, the Bible is described as oxen dung. It's a book of myths and bigoted beliefs that have brutalized and victimized men and women who choose to live contrary to its precepts through the ages. That's not true at all. They point to women being slaves and men abusing women and how Paul was so, so much of a male chauvinist. If they only knew the historical background of the passage... And they understood how men would leave their wives at home and go to temple prostitutes and have relationships outside of marriage. And then God says you're to have your own wife. Paul was a champion of women's rights. He tried to make their lives better, not worse. And God endorsed a man and a woman being together and living together and loving one another and procreating and having family and serving Him. Let me say this, we need to refrain from name-calling and labeling. Christ still loves the sinner today. And even as a person who slams the door in your face isn't really slamming the door in your face, but the Lord's. Someone that attacks you for your position in this area is not attacking you, they're attacking your faith. Your God. Don't take it personal. They're not really mad at you. They're mad for what you stand for. You stand for God and His Word. That's what makes people angry and upset. See, you can have an opinion about anything you want in America. But in our, our day to day and into the future, it seems to me that when you stand on this book and say that it is gospel you're going to be viewed as a bigoted fool. You can have any opinion you want but this one. Because this one says, I hate people in the eyes of the world today. And that's not true at all. People that have done the most things for society, oh yeah, there's been churches through history, I don't even want to go into church history, that have used the Bible to slaughter and destroy people. If you look at anybody that loves people, you'll never find anybody that loves them more than people that are reaching out to them that love God and love His Word. Are you kidding me? So we see, first of all, my perspective, my position now. Here's my position on the whole issue. I take God's side on it. That's what I do. I take God's side on it. What do you think about the president's recent support of gay marriage? Well, let's see. My opinion really doesn't matter. But God says that marriage is between a man and a woman. And over in the book of Matthew, the Bible says. And over in the book of Genesis, the Bible says. God says that he created the male and female. God says that a man's to cleave unto his wife. God said that they're to come together and they're to produce children and go forward and live in love and serve Him. I'm taking God's position on it. It can seem as though we've lost serious ground in the fight for moral and ethical values and we may even be tempted to feel somehow that we've lost all hope. But I want you to understand that our fate is not in the hands of politicians nor is it in the hands of men. The media may condemn us for our views. The world may shun us and even persecute us. But we stand for more than just simply an issue. We stand for a belief. We stand for a book. And we stand for God. It's not my beliefs that they're angry with. Like I said, it's His. 
Romans 3, 3 and 4 says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yet let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome them when thou art judged. The issues are driven by a number of factors, and it's easy to feel as though some of those points have merit. Still, the only question is simply this. Where will you stand on the issue? Will you stand with God or with man? It's that simple. You know, there you go again. Making people choose the Bible or making people choose loving people. No, no, you either agree with God or you disagree with God. It's that simple. And I'll stand where God stands. I mean, what source do you turn for for answers? How do you come to this conclusion? Well, let's see. Do you turn to the Bible for answers or do you turn to the media? To stand with God in the Bible, however, let me just warn you, is going to label you. You can be labeled as ignorant, arrogant, intolerant, mean-spirited, angry, hateful, and even old-fashioned. Plus, there will be a number of other derogatory terms that will be tied and associated to you, simply because you make the Bible your sole authority for faith and practice. Joshua 24:15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. He later goes on to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Now listen, this is a very emotionally packed issue. You need to take your emotions out of it. You need to stop thinking, well, you know what, I have a sister-in-law. I have a cousin. I have a relative. I have a friend who has 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 a friend. You may have heard that somewhere. You've got to take the emotion out of it. You've got to ask yourself, what does God say? Where does God stand? And you only have one choice to make. For or against Him and His Word. You say, wait a second, that's drawing a line real thick in the sand. Yes, it is. Because one day, every last one of us will stand before God and give an account. This book will never change. Even as Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, this book is settled in heaven. Nothing changes. Culture will change. Perspective will change. Issues will change. People will change. But God and His Word never changes. What God says is truth today will be truth tomorrow, next month, next year, next decade, next century, next millennium, and into eternity. Finally, my prayer, and we close. On Election Day, May 31, 1775, Harvard President Samuel Langdon addressed the Massachusetts Providential Congress. The message had a profound impact, resulting in its being published and distributed throughout the colonies. That's what he said. Mind you, May 31, 1775. We have rebelled against God. We have lost the true spirit of Christianity though we retain the outward profession and form of it. We have neglected and set light by the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and His holy commandments and institutions. The worship of many is but mere compliment to the deity, while their hearts are far from Him. By many, the gospel is corrupted into a superficial system of moral philosophy, little better than ancient Platonism. My brethren, let us repent and implore the divine mercy. Let us amend our ways and our doings, reform everything that has been provoking the Most High, and thus endeavor to obtain the gracious interpositions of providence for our deliverance. May the Lord hear us in this day of trouble. We will rejoice in His salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Wherefore is all this evil upon us? Is it not because we have forsaken the Lord? Can we say we are innocent of crimes against God? No. Surely it, it, it beca it's because, excuse me, surely it becomes us to humble ourselves under His mighty hand that we may exalt us, He may exalt us in due time. My brethren, let us repent and implore the divine mercy. Let us amend our ways and our doings. Reform everything that has been provoking the Most High. 
and thus endeavor to obtain the gracious interpositions of providence for our deliverance. If God be for us, who can be against us? The enemy has reproached us for calling on his name and professing our trust in him. They have made a mock of our solemn fasts and every appearance of serious Christianity in the land. May our land be purged from all its sins. Then the Lord will be our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. We will have no reason to be afraid, though thousands of enemies set themselves against us round about. May the Lord hear us in this day of trouble. We will rejoice in his salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Faith makes great optimists, doesn't it? Adonair Justin was lying in a foul jail cell with 32 pounds of chains on his ankles and feet bound by, to a bamboo pole. When a fellow prisoner said, Dr. Judson, what about the prospect of the conversion of the heathen? With a sneer on his face, he instantly replied, The prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. It does no good to go about with long faces today. A smile can melt the hardest heart, and an upbeat spirit can draw the least interested. We can't allow our present distress or circumstances to keep us from enjoying the victory that is already ours. We are more than conquerors. And although our drum may beat to a different drummer and a different sound, our God is still king and on the throne in heaven. In one sense, it is always us against the world. But in the other sense, you need to understand that no one is my enemy but Satan and sin. People are not my enemy. And people are not your enemy. We fight Satan and his demons. We fight sin. But we do not fight people. We love people. And our heart must be toward every last person, offering them the same hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you to take Stands, but do not, do not stoop to name calling. Do not allow yourself to speak out in anger or even frustration. You be very careful what you say and how you say it, and always point people to this book. Do not, do not let people believe your position is personal. It has to be His word. You have no authority. Your opinion does not matter to the media. It doesn't matter to anybody. All that matters is God's Word to us. That's what matters. I'm allowed to have an opinion, but my opinion doesn't hold water. They can tear me apart. But they can't tear this apart. They've been trying to do that for thousands of years. And it's still here today. You hold it and I hold it in my hand. Let's not just hold it. Let's embrace it. Let's love it, and let's live it. And let's love the people that Jesus Christ came and died for. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for just a few moments that we had today in addressing an issue that is somewhat, well, it's not somewhat, Lord, it is extremely emotionally heated. There's not one person, one lifestyle, that is not welcome at Community Baptist Temple. Everybody needs Jesus Christ. Everybody needs the Word of God, and everybody needs your salvation. Father, we just love you now. We ask you, Lord, to help us to embrace people, to love them, in spite of positions and direction. And We just pray that you'd help us, Father, to take your Word and to hold it true, to realize that the battle is between you and Satan and that we, Father, are to fight sin and the tempter. But, Lord, people, we are just to simply love. Now, Father, use us tonight and help us, Lord, to maybe leave here with a different perspective, understanding, Lord, it's not our job to beat people up or to bend them into subjection. It's our job to love them to to you, Lord Jesus. We don't have to agree with the direction, but we certainly have to pray for our leaders 
Father, do all we can to stand for you and to hold the ground that you've given us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in these days. And Lord, help your light to shine through us. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.